The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with too far, too fast. Top strategist at J.P. Morgan, he's casting down on the recent rally. Our expert money managers, they're going to weigh in with recommendations of their own. Also, taking Vision Pro to the next level. Why, it may be up to AR app developers to turn the tide when it comes to critical consumers and investors. And waiting for the smoke to clear. Millions across the northeast of the U.S. waking up to slightly clearer skies today after one of the worst air contamination episodes in U.S. history. We're looking at one sector on Wall Street whose troubles are far from over. Plus, a C-suite shakeup gone bad. Shares of GameStop, they get crushed after the company says its CEO is out. And then later, a mystery bet on shares of Coinbase that could have netted one investor potentially millions of dollars. It's Thursday, June 8, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Thanks for starting your day with us. Let's take a live look at the skyline of New York City, seeing its worst air quality in 20 years. The smoke from wildfires in Canada continues to move across the U.S. We're going to have the latest on when conditions may improve and the impact these dangerous conditions are having on one sector. Let's kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures, with stocks still hovering very close to their highest level since August of 2022, despite the fact that they closed lower yesterday. This morning, very muted, flat across the board pretty much. The Nasdaq was just fractionally lower just a minute ago, but you can see not a lot of movement overall. We are checking the bond market where we are seeing some movement, starting off with the benchmark 10-year. This has moved about 18 basis points, maybe 20 basis points higher since the debt limit deal. We're still seeing an elevated deal when it comes to the two-year, something that people thought would ease after the debt limit deal, something we continue to watch, the two-year at 4.55, the five-year pretty much at 4% right there. And we're also looking at energy. We continue to watch energy, especially after those OPEC cuts. We're seeing WTI crude moving a few bucks higher since Saudi Arabia voluntarily uh, decided to reduce production, but down about a half a percent this morning. Brent crude also moving just a bit higher since then, down about a half a percent this morning. Same story for natural gas. Okay, let's get a check on the action in Asia and the early trade over in Europe. Our Jemana Bersetchi, she's standing by in our London newsroom with more on both. Jemana, good morning. Good morning, Frank. Well, a bit of a cautious tone prevailing overnight. The handover from Wall Street also quite cautious as well, which means that for most of these indices, uh, we're sort of mixed bag in terms of positivity versus negativity. The Shanghai Composite in in China up half a percent. We did have some news overnight uh, that some of the local banks will be cutting deposit rates, and that is a perhaps positive sign that maybe there could be a bigger interest rate uh, cut to come in the future. So that has given a bit of life to some of these uh, 
Shanghai indices. But Nikkei is also in focus. You can see in Japan has pulled back from that three-decade high, down about eight-tenths of a percent. Though we did have some data there on the GDP front. The Japanese economy actually did grow 2.7 percent in the first quarter of this year, coming in much higher than initial estimates of 1.6 percent. But not the case for Europe. We just had some data crossing now suggesting that the aggregate eurozone GDP number has actually surprised to the downside. It's been revised lower to minus 0.1 percent versus plus 0.1 percent initial estimates. So a bit of a disappointing macro data coming through there. FTSE 100 in the UK, uh, the main underperformer, down three-tenths of a percent. Uh, the banks and miners have been heavily in focus this week. Zetrazax and Kekahont basically trading around the flat line. And all eyes, as ever, on the ECB meeting next Thursday. All right, Germana, thank you very much. All right, Germana Brissetti, live in our London newsroom. Time now for a check on this morning's top corporate stories. Silvana Hanau is here with those. Silvana, good morning. Hey, Frank. Good Thursday morning to you and welcome back. Well, as Jumana mentioned, China's six biggest state banks are cutting deposit rates in an effort to boost spending and economic growth. Banks from China Construction Bank to the Bank of China now offering 2.4% and 2.5% on three- and five-year term deposits. Now, that's down 15 basis points from September. Reports this morning that Fox News has notified Tucker Carlson's legal team that the former primetime host violated his contract with the network when he launched his own Twitter show. Carlson's first Twitter show went live on Tuesday. And a mystery trader may have netted millions on an unusual Coinbase options bet just minutes before the SEC announced it was suing rival Binance. At 10.36 a.m. Monday, a block of more than 4,000 contracts of Coinbase $50 puts expiring Friday hit the tape when the stock was trading just over $61 a share. By noon in New York, Coinbase shares had fallen nearly 12 percent, and the options, which had been bought for 18 cents each, traded for as much as $1. That's a gain of almost 460% if sold at peak. All right. Very interesting move very there. Interesting. I think a lot of people yeah. are going to be watching that. I'm oh, sure yeah. we'll be talking about that the rest of the <laughs> Absolutely. day. Absolutely. Coinbase shares down a percent this morning as well. Savannah, we'll see you later on the show. See you later. All right. Turning our attention back to the market, the ongoing rally hitting pause with the NASDAQ being hit the hardest in yesterday's session. The index now leading the market losses for the week so far, down 1%. Speaking with CNBC yesterday, J.P. Morgan's chief global market strategist, Marco Kalanovic, he's pressed on whether tech's rally has gone too far, too fast. I do think it's too exceptional. You know, it's been a sort of breadth of that rally has been pretty narrow. Uh, some of the largest companies, uh, you know, tied to the artificial intelligence AI team has been sort of uh, rallying tremendously and valuations are very stretched. You know, it's hard to, you know, say that it cannot go more, but we think it's, it's in a sort of a little bit in a bubble, a bubble domain already now. So, so I think it's, it's too late. All right. For more on this and the trading day ahead, let's bring in Delano Sapporo, founder and CEO of New Street Advisors. He's also a CNBC contributor. Delano, good morning. Morning. Morning, Frank. All right. So you heard uh, Marco Kalanovic, too exceptional. I want to talk about what you're looking at, though. You have a lot of younger clients, people, millennials. They have longer investing horizons. What are you advising them when it comes to mega cap tech? We're going to show a chart here with some of the big moves when it comes to these stocks. Right now, is it time to take profits or hold on for more? 
Yeah, I think, you know, if you're looking specifically at the semis um, and some of the, the plays that have been really tied to, to AI, I think this might be a good time for people to take profits. You look at people that invested since the beginning of the year and say a name like NVIDIA, uh, that stock has done tremendously well since the beginning of the year. And if you look at their last quarter print, they also had a strong print as well as guidance. Now, you know, I do think the run-up has been kind of extreme. And I think for those investors, if you're looking at sort of risk management, there is now an opportunity for investors to potentially take some profits off the table and leave a little bit of their position long because it is a, kind of in an extreme run, especially in a name like that. Um, and, and there's going to be some volatility going forward, especially as we get into the summer. And we still have a lot of data um, on inflation, on jobs, and, and what seeing what the Fed is doing. But that, that would be my position when it comes to some of these names that have run up a lot since the beginning of the year. All right. So big run ups. Maybe it's time to take a little bit of money off the table. I want to talk to you about a, a sector that we're going to talk about later in the show, but I know you're watching it. Retail. So if you look at the e-commerce numbers, they've been relatively strong all year. Um, they've seen double-digit gains for the months that we have data from. Uh, we use MasterCard data here. So what are you seeing when it comes to retail? How do you feel about retail right now? Is it investable? And what are you looking at? Yeah, retail is interesting because if you, you think about, you know, a lot of the projections from the beginning of the year is, is recession. And obviously, in retail, you're looking at the consumer struggling that that might not be a great place for investors. But I think there's a strong point and a silver lining for investors that are looking for retailers that are doing well, especially online. So a company that we looked at and like is Lululemon, which had a solid quarter last quarter with $2.8 in revenue. Uh, but what was the strong point of it is their store sales. But if you look at direct-to-consumer, that was up strong. And that's an area where they're adding strength. Um, it makes up 52% of their business. And, and I think that's a strong suit when you're looking at retailers right now is how they're connecting with their consumers directly and how well they're doing online, as well as, you know, growing same-store sales and adding new stores. So Lululemon has done well on that front and management's done really well on that front. So that's the bright spot that I look at, like to look at when I'm looking at retailers, especially in this environment. All right. So we're going to talk about something that's not necessarily as sexy as some of this other stuff, bonds. Um, the yields are still elevated. I'm looking at the one month right now at 5.11%. What's your view on bonds? Are you putting money in short bonds, long bonds? What do you think about it overall? Yeah, Frank, it definitely is it's sexy, and especially for younger investors when they're looking, you know, all the time for for you know growth and equities and different areas that are you know high flying. Um, but you know, at some some points, and this has been a long time where you know a lot of people have looked at bonds. Right? I think you know if you look at the data, it's like roughly around 2007 that it was much. It's so interesting to kind of look at. Um, what bonds are doing. But short-term bonds right now are a great place for investors in the short term to hide out, especially if they're waiting on volatility or if they took some money off the table in growth. Um, and obviously, since we have an inversion right now, if you're looking at short-term bonds, you don't need to take on um, any longer duration risk by looking out further. But maybe those short-term bonds are, are areas where, where folks are could sit in for okay. a little bit um, and catch some income. So, Dylan, I want to be clear. So when you say short term, are you saying one, two month, three month? I'm looking at the six. The yield on the six is higher than the one month. Are you looking at the 10 year to lock in that yield for a longer period of time? Exactly what are you looking at? Yeah. yeah. And if you don't believe that, you know, rates will get any lower um, on a 10 year or any of those, I would look into one to three, three months. That's what we're, we're looking at. Right. And that gives us flexibility. Um, you can lock in. And if you someone that's buying municipal bonds, um, you can you can have a different tax strategy there as well. Um, and so so that's what we like to look at is that short term range uh, right now for investors. Man, talking about stuff that's not sexy. You're talking about taxes, too, Delano. Wow. All right. Always great to see you, man. Thank you for your time and your insight, as always. Looking forward to seeing Thank you, you again. Frank. All right, a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including that one word that investors have to know today. But first, why it may be up to AR app developers to turn the tide 
on Apple's Vision Pro when it comes to some very critical consumers and investors. We speak with one app developer trying to make that happen. Plus, a C-suite shakeup gone bad as shares of GameStop. They sink ahead of the open and then later deconstructing the rally as we look at the best and the worst performing stock baskets with the S&P hovering very close to an all-time high. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your Big Money Movers, three stock stories of the morning. We start off with GameStop. Selling off ahead of the open after the company announced it has terminated its CEO and elected noted meme stock icon Ryan Cohen as its new executive chairman. Cohen previously served as GameStop's chairman. All right. Japanese listed shares of ASI moving higher overnight. The FDA says it's raising expectations for full approval of the company's Alzheimer's drug when a public advisory committee meets tomorrow. Shares of that company up more than 7 percent. And U.S. luxury EV maker Lucid is preparing to enter the Chinese auto market. Company executives say they will begin by selling imported cars. But Reuters reports Lucid will also consider local production within China. Shares of Lucid up more than 2%. Turning now to Apple after it unveiled its $3,500 Vision Pro mixed reality headset earlier this week. While reception for the product, it's honestly been mixed. What comes next may turn the tide for critics and for consumers. While iPad apps are able to run inside the headset, Apple says it hopes that developers will go beyond 2D and instead create 3D apps not possible with traditional mobile devices. Apple already giving some software makers early access to the hardware, announcing it will soon start taking applications for developers' kits. So we wanted to get the take from an actual developer already working in AR, Wim Raygards, the co-founder of Oi Soy Studio, the maker of painting VR app, for Oculus, and he joins me now. Wim, it is so great to have you here. Thank you for having me. So, Wim, let's get right into it. Give us the elevator pitch for this app. Kind of explain to it. It's obviously involved with painting. And who is your target consumer? Actually, we've like we've visualized, virtualized the classic painting on a 2D canvas, like we all know, like we all did as kids. Uh, and our target market is pretty much everybody who wants to be creative and do that in a way uh, where the threshold is really low to get started, actually. All right. So, so Wim, I want to talk to you about the hardware for a second. Um, yeah. Are there issues with it? I mean, we saw the, the Meta uh, Oculus headset. There wasn't that much adoption, really. But a lot of people weren't that eager to get on board with it. What are you seeing when it comes to this one? Do you see a bigger opportunity? Because for someone like you, honestly, you want to get as many people on there as possible. 
I'm also looking at the CNBC review here. There's a social aspect because you can hang your painting and your friends can come by and look at it. Yeah, that's true. So that's our our social part because uh, we try to make a con- make actually create a community around uh, around creativity, and uh, we want people to be able to show and get better at painting in our app. Uh, and it's true. It's what it's like. You say we we want to get us many heads in the headsets as possible uh, to show as many people what, what the benefits are of, of this way of, of working and, and creating. Um, and I think that the, the headset that Apple has launched, not just like the headset itself, but the whole, uh, yeah, the whole, the fact that they actually get into the game of XR is a, is a big thing. Uh, and like together with, with the, the announcement of the Quest 3 that happened earlier this week, this is a really big week for XR, I think. Uh, yeah, and not just, I mean, if you look at LinkedIn and Twitter, it's, it's, that's like the whole, where it boils down to, actually. Right. It, it's definitely a huge week. Let's get down to brass tacks, though. What about monetization? Um, talk to me about how you plan to monetize this whole thing. What Apple's told you so far about, you know, the cost to be in its app store when it comes to this. Give us a sense of how all that works, because for Apple, they make so much money off of those uh, the fees they charge you to be in the app store. Well, they're not the only ones. I mean, pretty much every app store uh, works on the same system where they take around 30 percent. There's a one developer that says they're going to bring that down, but that's not sure. Uh, so it's going to be, I think when it comes to monetization, it will be pretty much the same how we monetize on the quest platform right now on the meta platform right now and on steam. Um, and actually it works for us. I mean, we're only on the meta platform right now and on steam, uh, but we've been able to grow as a studio to eight people now. Uh, and we only launched like a year ago. So it's definitely already a market, although it's pretty small. We have a pretty popular app, if I may say so. Um, and I mean, bringing more big players to the game is only going to, going to make this better. So we're really happy with the, with how things are going right now. Cause it's not just Apple. It's also Microsoft. It's Samsung. They're all coming with new headsets and they'll probably all be like standalone headsets. So it's going to be really interesting in uh, 2023. All right. Wim, best of luck with your app. Let's definitely stay in much. touch. Let us know if you get on board and hopefully we can actually play it one time and I can give my own review. Great to see you. Good luck with everything. Thank you very much. I had here on Worldwide Exchange. Retail may be one of the worst performing stock baskets since the last time the S&P traded above 4,300. But that's not stopping the bulls at Bank of America. We speak with sector specialist Liz Suzuki when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet where we check on a few of the morning's biggest upgrades and downgrades by firms you know. Mike fell off. Give me one second here. And stocks that you likely own. Sorry about the technical difficulties, everybody. We're going to start with Megacap Tech right here. UBS upgrading its price target on Amazon. It's raising it from $130 to $150. UBS cites expectations that AWS, Amazon Web Services, will reaccelerate in the fourth quarter 
and brighter prospects will be ahead on the back of AI. Looking at shares of Amazon, they're up just about a quarter percent this morning. Also, City upgrading Rio Tinto to buy from neutral. We were actually talking about this stock earlier this week. The bank says it sees clear upside risk on the back of new China stimulus measures and notes the sector has been a market laggard over the past three months. Shares of Rio Tinto up more than 1% right now. And Jeff Grease downgrading Las Vegas Sands and Wynn Resorts to hold from buy. It says while the bull case for both remains and the recovery of Macau is in the early stage, both factors are already baked into the stock price at current levels. Looking at both, Las Vegas Sands unchanged. Wynn Resorts, though, taking a bit of a hit, down 1.5%. All right, time now for a check on this morning's other headlines. We have NBC's Philip Mena in New York with the very latest. Philip, the sky's out there in New York. Something to see. It is. It's something that I've never seen before, at least here in this part of the this part of the country. Good morning there, Frank. Uh, so there are new developments in special counsel Jack Smith's investigation into former President Trump's handling of classified documents. The lawyers for Mr. Trump were told at a meeting with the DOJ prosecutors on Monday that the former president is a target in the classified documents probe. That's according to two sources briefed on the meeting. A Justice Department spokesperson declined to comment. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky says that hundreds of thousands of people are without normal access to drinking water after the Kavoa Dam was destroyed and flooded that area. Uh, officials fear that over a million acres of farmland will be ruined after the deluge knocked out the water supply for dozens of irrigation systems. And finally, check out this video here of Hawaii's Kilauea volcano. It is the youngest and most active volcano on the Big Island, and it rumbled back to life this week. This is Kilauea's fourth eruption in three years. Officials say that the activity is confined to the crater and it poses no threat to nearby communities. But it does look eerily similar to what we're kind of seeing outside. Completely different source, though, Frank. <laughs> yeah, totally different story on the <laughs> other side of the world, but just pretty crazy what's going on. Nature, it's something to see. Philip Menon, yeah. great to see you as always. Likewise. All right, straight ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, Google cracking down on some work-from-home workers. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, Check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Worldwide Exchange will be back right after this. It is right around 5.30 a.m. here in the New York City area, and we're just getting started here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. Markets fighting to get back on track after stocks take a hit, with tech seeing a sizable pullback after testing fresh highs. Futures right now, they're searching for a bit of direction. That pullback putting a small dent in the market's otherwise impressive gain so far this year. We are breaking down the haves and the have-nots of this rally. And some dramatic images from across the eastern U.S. as wildfire smoke continues to create dangerous conditions now impacting the bottom lines of businesses. It is Thursday, June the 8th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Collin. Thanks for starting your day with us. A live look at the skyline of New York City seeing its worst air quality in 20 years as smoke from wildfires in Canada just continues to move across the U.S. while the latest on when conditions may improve and the impact these dangerous conditions are having on one sector in particular. But first, let's start with a check on U.S. stock futures. Bit of a muted start so far this morning. We are seeing the Dow Jones just dip very slightly into negative territory. The S&P and the Nasdaq very fractionally higher right now. Not a lot of movement. Okay, now for a check on some of the morning's top stories. Our Silvana Hanau, she's back with those. Silvana, over to you. Hey, Frank. Well, TikTok is reportedly looking to make a bigger push into e-commerce in an apparent bid to eventually 
take on Amazon. According to Bloomberg, the app's parent company, ByteDance, is looking to more than quadruple the size of the division to as much as $20 billion in sales this year. The report adds that projection factors in rapid growth in Southeast Asia and the expansion of sales in the U.S. and Europe would make up a small portion of the $20 billion goal. Meanwhile, Google is looking to crack down on workers who have not been coming into the office consistently. According to internal memos viewed by CNBC, the company updated its its hybrid work policy yesterday, and that includes tracking office badge data, speaking to workers who aren't coming in when they're supposed to, and including attendance records in performance reviews. And as the SEC continues its scrutiny of Binance, lawyers for the crypto exchange are accusing Chairman Gary Gensler of previously offering to serve as an outside advisor. The lawyers claim in documents filed by the SEC that Gensler offered to serve in the role during several conversations in March 2019 with founder Jianpeng Zhao and other executives. Now, they add that Zhao continued to stay in touch with Gensler after their meeting, and Zhao sat down for an interview with Gensler at his request as part of a crypto course he was teaching at MIT, Frank. All right, Silvana, thank you very much. All right. Despite yesterday's slight drop, the S&P 500 has been inching towards 4,300. Let's dissect what's been going on. Two consumer-facing sectors, home building and retail, they've really been headed in opposite directions. You can see the chart right there. The best-performing ETF, the S&P Home Builders, that's been on a real tear, up 25% this year. But it's been a gloomier picture for retail, just marginally positive for 2023. John Lavallo of UBS is here on Home Builders, and we have Liz Suzuki of B of A Securities. She's going to join us just a minute to talk retail. But, John, we're going to start with you. We're going to do gentlemen first instead of ladies first this time around. (laughs) So talk to me. Mortgage rates, they're high. They've kind of doubled year over year. Um, When you look, there's less people buying houses. And then I know your data just came out. There's actually less people even searching for houses. Why are the home builders doing so well? It's such an interesting time, Frank, and thanks for having me. What we're seeing is that if you think about the competing product, existing homes, there's just nothing out there. There's only 2.8 months of supply. Think about the other side of the equation with smaller private home builders. They're starting to have a little bit of trouble getting financing. So while there is less demand out there, think about all the demand that is out there being channeled towards these public home builders who are able to get inventory on the ground, but more importantly, offer financing. So no one is paying 7% that's buying from a public home builder. They're paying 6%. They're paying 5.5%. And so, again, everything is being channeled towards them. All right, walk me through this one. So it sounds like the home builders are helping with the financing of these houses? That's correct. So how does that work? So essentially what they're doing is they're, they're paying down part of that mortgage over the life of the loan. So it's a, it's a hit to gross margin. But the returns are still very good because they're able to fund a more uh, you know, more flow through the, through the pipeline. Okay, we've seen some moderation when it comes to commodity prices as well. So long-term, what does that mean for these home builders? You mentioned it's hitting gross margin a bit. I'd imagine it's hitting the bottom line a bit for them to help with these mortgages. But as we see commodity prices start to regulate, does that create a tailwind for these home builders longer term, even if we continue to see these higher rates? Yeah, 100%. Lower lumber costs is a good thing. And I think that, you know, labor is loosening to some extent, which is also a benefit. So there are some cost-benefit offsets that are, you know, coming into gross margin on the positive side. But again, you know, think about these home builders are penciling to a return as opposed to a gross margin. That gross margin will move up and down. But if they can keep inventory moving, these are production builders. That's what they're going to do. So your most recent note, I want to circle back to this. Why are people searching for less homes? I know there's less inventory, but everybody knew that for a long time. 
Why are people less interested in even looking? Well, I think, you know, it's the data is monthly, so it's a little bit volatile. And it was fairly close to, you know, sort of historical norms on a sequential basis. So we weren't too concerned about that. Um, I think overall demand, again, has moderated. There's no question about it. But for the public home builders, what is so exciting is that that demand that's out there is all kind of heading towards them. You have a best of class right now. You mentioned that they're all kind of doing some of the same things, at least the publicly traded ones. They're helping people buy. But is there one area? Is it luxury? Is it, are the companies that are focused on, you know, uh, middle market? Is it first time buyer companies? Which ones are the, be- the best picks for investors right now? Yeah, I, th- I think you hit it at the end there. The first time home buyer is where the juice is, in our opinion. That's a very need based, motivated buyer. They're getting married. They're having children, things of that nature that necessitate more space. Give us a name. D.R. Horton, top pick. All right. We're looking at the XHB ETF. We're showing some of the names. So D.R. Horton's one of them. Give us another one in that, in that tier of the first-time home buyer that you see has a lot of, that you believe has a lot of upside. Meritage Homes is another one that we like. That's tipper, ticker MTH. Um, sort of a smaller version of D.R. Horton, focusing on that entry-level first-time buyer. Very good footprint. Uh, so we like them a lot as well. All right, John Lavallo, always great to have you here. Appreciate the insight. Appreciate the time. All right, let's move over to retail and bring in Liz Suzuki of B of A Securities. Liz, since the last time the S&P had closed above 4,300 in August of 2022, the XRT retail ETF, it's lost more than 17%. But overall, you're actually pretty bullish. Yeah, that's right. You know, I think retail uh, broadly has, you know, has has struggled a bit. And if you think about what's happened with the U.S. consumer, which used to be the, you know, the strong point of the U.S. economy, it makes sense. We've started to see some of that spending data get softer and, you know, especially in more discretionary categories. So, you know, that's why we're generally more bullish on non-discretionary categories or on things that are more of an investment. You know, you just had John on um, talking about home builders and about you know, the home and the value of the home there. I mean, the, the home improvement retailers like Home Depot and Lowe's are really where we, we think that some of those, that spending is more investment-based, right? You, you do home improvements thinking that it's an investment in the value of your home. And so that's where we are um, actually, you know, a bit more bullish as opposed to the broader retail complex. Okay, so, so you're a little bit more bullish when it comes to the home retailers. I want to throw something at you because we had a guest earlier that was pretty bullish on retail, Looking at the e-commerce numbers, they've hovered like around double digits for the beginning of the year so far, Um, over 10 percent, 8, 9 percent. Pretty strong growth with so much inflation and supposedly we're heading into a recessionary environment. Why are we seeing this kind of performance when it comes to the stocks? Sure. I mean, I think with with e-commerce and really with any retailer that has, you know, a a robust e-commerce business, like I think and omni-channel is one of the most successful business strategies of the last, you know, that's come out of the last 10 years. So having a combination of brick and mortar and online, I think, has been very successful for not only, you know, growth, but also for margins for a lot of retailers, right? Because Online tends to be a little bit margin dilutive, so having that in-store uh, ability to, you know, to really capture margin has been very successful. So, you know, I think that that really what's happening there is that a lot of the pandemic trends of, um, you know, people wanting to shop more online, people wanting that convenience, that really hasn't stopped. So, I think that's why you know we're seeing some relative strength in uh, in, in e-commerce. I want to talk to you about something else: valuations. We're seeing a lot of these retail stocks trading at very low multiples right now. Is there a certain level? Maybe people don't feel great about the business, but is there a certain level where the valuations are so low that they just become attractive? 
Absolutely. I mean, if you look like a, at a stock like Lowe's, which is trading below 14 times PE on next year's earnings, and this is a company that's been growing its dividend, it's been uh, buying back shares, right? So the total shareholder return story is very positive here. So I think at that point, you know, and it, this is a multiple that's well below its pre-pandemic average, you know, going back you know, 20 years, it's just, it, it's a significant discount. So we think that what's happening here is that the market is pricing in a you know pretty meaningful decline in sales, which is really not what we're seeing at all. So we expect um, the market for, for home improvement specifically to be kind of flattish this year off of, you know, three very, very strong years of okay. growth. So, you know, we're, we're assuming that this year is going to look more like 2022. We think the market thinks it's going to look more like 2008. All right. So you said something really important, a phrase, pre-pandemic. So we're in the post-pandemic era. Should we change the way we look at retail? I'm looking at a stock like Target trading at 16 times, almost trading at the price it was pre-pandemic. Is it time to change how we look at some of these big box stores and other big retail names? Well, I think what we shouldn't do is throw out the last three years and say that it didn't mean anything because, you know, that was the pandemic. And so people's shopping behavior changed. I think what we should think about is what has permanently changed. And so, you know, as as I was talking about the, the value of the home, that has still changed for a lot of us. I mean, I'm at home right now. A lot of us are still working from home at least, you know, a couple of days a week or more often than we were pre-pandemic, right? So I think that there are shifts that have happened that we should you know give credit for and think and that the retailers that have been successful during this period have built a lot of equity and have also built you know very strong balance sheets as a result of of the pandemic so we think that they should get credit for that so going back to pre-pandemic and valuing based on you know 2019 levels of sales and saying that's where we're going back to i think is maybe a little um you know probably not appropriate all right, Liz Suzuki of B of A, great to have you here as always. Thank you. All right, turning our, back to our, our, turning our attention back to one of the big stories today. If you're like most, your feeds are likely full of pictures making places like New York look a lot like Mars. Uh, but while the smoke from Canadian wildfires are creating a lot of Instagram moments, there is generally a real-world fallout. From keeping employees home to flights being grounded, businesses are truly being affected. But these fires, they might just be the start. When we come back, the group keeping a wary eye on wildfire season. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange, a live look at New York City and Capitol Hill and the haze from that wildfire smoke just blanketing much of the eastern U.S. Um, We continue to watch that today because that smoke, it is creating some very dangerous air quality conditions, forcing employers to send workers home and causing delays and cancellations for air travelers. Let's get right to NBC News meteorologist Angie Lastman for the very latest on this. Angie, good morning. Is there any indication when these conditions, when they may begin to clear up? Yeah, we do know that once we start to see that wind switching, we're going to have some improvement. But that doesn't, Frank, come until really by the time we get into Saturday and specifically into Sunday. Let's talk about where we stand right now, because a lot of folks, especially in the Northeast and in the Midwest, are waking up to some uh, difficulty when it comes to air quality as as far as right now. Here's what we're dealing with. 100 million people are under this these kind of unhealthy air risk here is from that wildfire smoke through this morning. This will likely last in the afternoon hours, places like Detroit, Washington. 
Washington, D.C., New York, all included in some of the worst of what we're seeing this morning. As we progress through the rest of this afternoon and into the evening hours, we'll likely start to see another batch of some of this smoke working through. Notice as we pause at just five o'clock this afternoon, uh, a lot of that heaviest and densest smoke is working through parts of the Great Lakes into places like Pennsylvania. New York will still be hazy. We're going to see improvements in New York City uh, as far as, as compared to what we saw yesterday when we were topping that list of worst air quality in the world. But by the time we get into your Friday, your Saturday, your Sunday, major improvements will come with most of that smoke working out of the picture and seeing quieter and more pleasant conditions for folks, Frank. Yeah, I think a lot of people are hoping we have a much better weekend where you can go out and just be out without a face mask on. But Indeed. Have to wait and see. Angie Lastman, thank you so much for being here. All right, as states get smoked out in the east, one group is really training its focus on wildfire season out west. Our Contessa Brewer, she's here with much more on that story. Contessa, good morning. Frank, good morning to you. Yeah, Varys told me, by the way, that the claims for smoke damage are already starting to come in as insurers watch California and the West Coast, which, of course, had wetter than normal winter and spring, which exploded the growth of foliage, and that could fuel wildfires later this summer. Insurers used to consider wildfire a secondary peril. No longer. Since 2017, eight of the 10 costliest wildfires in the world have happened in California. The industry says the climate change risk is long term and can be tackled. But the financial pressure from inflation is acute. It needs immediate response. While we hit a 41 year high overall for inflation last year at 8 percent, Materials for residential home construction skyrocketed almost 34 percent. Labor costs shot up 27 percent. And in California, insurers aren't permitted to raise rates based on the risk on the horizon. They have to base it on what's happened in the last 20 years. The state hasn't approved rate hikes commensurate with lost costs. And that is why Chubb famously threw in the towel in that regulated market years ago, AIG2, and now State Farm and Allstate limiting their exposure by not taking on new policies. And look, it's not just fire. California is Hippo's second biggest market. It got slammed with flooding claims over the winter. It's not just California. Fire in Colorado and New Mexico, hail in the Great Plains and Pennsylvania, Maryland, winter weather and hurricane risks together in Texas and Louisiana, too. It and Washington state are problems are seeing problems with um, regulators and with fraud and with litigation that sent insurers fleeing from Florida. And look at this slide from all states most recent earnings presentation. New Jersey and New York join California as states where all state is having trouble. Well, apparently we don't have that, but they're having trouble making the numbers work in auto insurance. Here it is. A.J. Gallagher tells me this is a 50-state problem, and especially where populations are booming in more climate-vulnerable states, so all across the Atlantic and the Gulf Coast. All the smoke in the air should serve as a reminder that we are seeing unusual catastrophes, and reinsurers have begun to limit how much catastrophe coverage they will offer to insurance. It's insurance for insurers. That lack of supply, Frank, means that insurers pass um, they, the insurers are paying more for reinsurance, and they're passing along those co costs to their customers, which is a big reason why probably everybody watching right now has noticed, wait, why am I paying more for my property insurance? Right. Yeah, I mean, I think if you own a house, you own a car, motorcycle, whatever you got, you notice the rates have been ticking up a little bit higher, especially after they declined during the pandemic, which was a break for a lot of people. So I just want to be clear. Is it all just climate risk and climate change, wildfires, floods and things like that? 
or are there other factors? In Florida, one of the laws that allowed uh, the, the lawsuits to happen and the insurers to get stuck with the legal bills sent verdicts skyrocketing and settlements were so much higher. That set the tone for the rest of the nation. Florida uh, lawmakers have tried to tackle that and they've changed the law. We'll see how that works through the system, but they've got a big backlog. Fraud is a big one. Just this week, there was a conference on insurance fraud, and they're looking at this as a major factor about why uh, costs are going up. And it turns out that a vast majority of people think it's okay. Not a majority of people, less than a majority, but a surprising number of Americans think it's okay to commit insurance fraud, 16 percent overall. And on auto insurance, you have more than 30 percent who said, yeah, it's fine if you submit an inflated auto insurance claim. That makes costs go up for everybody. You know, such a big turnaround. I remember during the pandemic, you did a story about the auto insurers actually giving people money back because they weren't driving. Now rates going higher. Well, and inflation is a big reason behind that, too, because it costs a lot more to replace or repair your car. All right. Contessa Brewer, always great to see you. Always great to have you here. All right, ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, the one word that every investor needs to know today, RAS Asset Management's Carrie Firestone. She lays out the trading day ahead and the threshold, she says, is key for the market's rally to soldier on. But first, June is Pride Month, and CNBC is celebrating all month long and sharing stories of corporate leaders with you. As we head to break, here is Toast Chief Technology Officer, Deborah Caprati. You know, the definition of the word pride is consciousness of one's own dignity. And I think this annual event designated time to recognize the LGBTQ community and to celebrate out loud and proud creates great awareness for ourselves and others that we're deserving of love, honor, and celebration and of dignity. And I think everyone deserves dignity. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you need to know before the opening bell. Shares of GameStop selling off ahead of the open after the company announced it has terminated its CEO and elected noted meme stock icon Ryan Cohen as its new executive chairman. Shares down more than 18%. Shares of Tesla are tracking for their longest win streak in more than two years, up 9% in the past nine days. If it can make it to 11, that will be the longest win streak since January of 2021. Japanese-listed shares of ASI moving higher overnight. The FDA says it's raising expectations for full approval of the company's Alzheimer's drug when a public advisory committee meets tomorrow. Shares of that company up more than 7%. New data this morning saying the eurozone slipped into a technical recession in the first quarter of this year. The bloc's GDP fell 0.1% in the first three months of 2023. That was well below consensus. Fourth quarter numbers were also revised lower, also to down 0.1 from Flatline. Meta Platforms introducing a new feature on WhatsApp called Channels, with users in Colombia and Singapore getting a first look. Meta says the new feature will help make the app a, quote, private broadcasting messaging product. Shares of Meta down about a half a percent. And U.S. luxury EV maker Lucid is preparing to enter the Chinese auto market. Company executives say they will begin by selling imported cars. But Reuters reports Lucid will also consider local production within China. We're also gearing up for the trading day ahead. Two pieces of economic data out this morning with weekly initial jobless claims and wholesale trade figures for April. Then on the earnings front, we get results from DocuSign, Signet Jewelers, Jewelers and Vail Resorts. Then at 4.30 this afternoon, 
we get the latest look at the Fed's balance sheet. All right, we continue to gear up for the trading day. We're looking at futures right now. They've been pretty muted all morning long. We'll continue to see that right now. Um, right now, you know, the Dow Jones basically flat, fractionally lower. We are seeing a bit of upside movement when it comes to the NASDAQ. The S&P basically flat right now. But the S&P is also fighting to break through what's become kind of a key level, 4,300, seen by many, including our next guest, as the level that we need to break through to keep this market rally moving forward. Carrie Firestone, she's the chairman and CEO of RES Asset Management and a CNBC contributor. Carrie, it is always great to see you. Nice to see you too, Frank. All right, so we're just talking about it, inching towards 4,300. We're about 25 points away from it now. With that in mind, what is your wax word of the day? It's 20. And the reason it's 20 is because from the bottom in October of 3577 on the S&P to 4,300 is 20%. Now, that's psychological. Of course, number is just a number. But if we hit that level, I think it's a confirmation to investors that this is a rally that's not just a very short-term blip. It's 20%. That's meaningful. It's very meaningful to people who have been out of the market and haven't put their money back to work, who are really going to feel that they're missing something, that the economy has done better than expected. We are not in a recession. Inflation is coming down and interest rates are close to peaking, despite there being some problems. But remember, the market was down 18 percent last year. So we're not even halfway back to where we were because it takes longer and more to get back to even when you're coming up than when you're going down. All right. So certainly something to watch. I think a lot of people are wondering if we're going to break through possibly today. Had a bit of a decline um, when it came to mega cap tech yesterday. So speaking of that, you sold some uh, Apple about a week ago and then you went into Microsoft. So just overall, do you think it's time to take profits from mega cap tech or maybe shift how you're allocating when it comes to mega cap tech? So it was a couple. It was a few weeks ago, but same uh, same story. We felt that at the multiple where Apple is now, it's thirty plus times earnings, and the growth is not as robust as it it, it was. Of course, at its size, we thought we should take a little profits. Now that was a mistake. In fact, the the stock has gone higher. Uh, Microsoft, we think, has tremendous potential because not only is it the AI leader, and that's not the reason that we bought more, but it had been sluggish, and we just decided this was the time to add to Microsoft and take a little bit off Apple. Other than that, we have made no changes in the mega caps, and we own many of them. You know, we're a big owner of Alphabet, that's Google. We also own Meta, we own Salesforce, Apple. Amazon, uh, too. So we are not out of uh, out of this sector, but it's a diversified portfolio and it's hard for anyone to be overweight those mega caps. Otherwise, it's half of your your uh, portfolio or your fund. And we really feel we need to see more participation and we're beginning to see more participation in the market. Last week was the first time since March when all sectors of the S&P were up together. All right. So uh, can you give us some advice for our investors, especially today? Recently, we've seen the S&P outperform some of those mega cap tech names. Is this the time to be an index investor and just go into the SPY? You know, it's an interesting question because the equal weighted S&P has been so far behind the overall index. Up until a week ago, the S&P was up about 9% and the equal weight, EW, SPX, EW, was only up 1%. 
now we're starting to see some participation across other sectors, whether it's financials, which, of course, have been the worst performing sector in the market this year. But financials are starting to act better. We like Schwab, American Express, um, Blackstone. Some of the healthcare names are starting to do better uh, and not just large cap tech, but, you know, biotechs also. All right. Something to certainly watch, Carrie. I think a lot of people will be happy to see broader participation in a rally that continues. Carrie Firestone, it's always great to see you. Thank you you for being here. All right, that's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Got Squawk Box coming up next. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.